Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 15th day of August. 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the, well, the DVD section of Target in Pasadena, California, just down the street from the historic Rose Bowl. That's right. I've been, well, I've been basically doing a lot of chores today, a lot of errands today, and it's taken me to Target, which has become kind of what, I know when I was growing up there were stores like Bradley's and Zayers and and uh, Caldor's and New England where it just seemed like everything was there. Sears used to be that. Remember Sears? Sears and Roebuck. Whatever happened to Roebuck? I will never know what happened to Roebuck. Roebuck is, the, that was a uh, sad day when Roebuck was basically erased from all history. But uh, I'm here now, so I need to get something. I need to get food and clothes and gifts and toiletries and, you know, a live cougar, I don't know, just trying to find anything, panda food, and we'll just go to Target, and chances are there's some damn aisle that has it, and uh, this is not an ad for Target, it's just just a statement, it's now become kind of a weird go-to place for for your pal Sully to be like, alright, I guess uh, guess I'll go find something. Um, I was here and I had the... uh, the uh, the the Giants and uh, Orioles and the Giants had a seven one lead and you know, I was listening to it you know there's been so far a pretty decent day for your pal Sully and the teams he's rooting for the Reds you know, Red Sox got one with Mookie Betts hitting three homers and you know the Yankees got clobbered and that's always a good thing and and the Giants were were cruising along like oh, okay cool it's gonna be one of those days where just about everything I want to have happened is happening. And it just kept chipping away and chipping away, getting a little closer, a little too close for comfort. <laughs> not, not sure I like this. Not sure I like what's going on here. And um, and then it was 7-5. Santiago Casilla came out. And before you can say, no! The Orioles had the lead. Now, I, I, you know, I do recall, I don't know, months ago, me questioning how Santiago Casilla could still be a situation where he is the default person that you just hand the ball to. And here we are. This is, this is as brutal a loss as the Giants have. It was 7-1 going to the 7th. Okay, they pushed Cueto a little bit, and then, you know, took him out after, the, after you know, a few outs in the 7th inning. And then you, know, you hand the ball to Casilla at the end. After Strickland had, you know, let up a home run, and Law let up a hit. You know, did they pinch hit for Law? No. Oh, they did. They did pinch hit for Law. So they had to bring in another pitcher at the end. Now, I have talked many, many times about the concept of the tyranny of the save. And it's never clearer than a time like today. Yes, if you have a difference-making closer, someone who is absolutely can't be touched, 
you know, like absolutely on a roll. The way that, that Koji Uehara was at the end of 2013, the way Rivera was all those years. I've, I've made this point over and over again, so forgive me if, if this is, you know, going over old territory for you. But, you know, so if you have a, a, a pitcher like that, yeah, you hand the ball to them and it shortens the game. But do you know what? There aren't 30 of them in baseball right now. Not every team has them. And because you've piled up a lot of saves doesn't mean you're a difference-making closer. It means that you're the one who has been on the mound the most often with a three-run or fewer lead in the ninth inning, and you let up two runs or fewer. As I've said before, it is statistically possible to finish the season with an ERA around 18 and pile up 30 or 40 saves a year. That is statistically possible, which tells you all you need to know about the save statistic. But Casilla has pitched well. He was the closer when they went and they won the World Series in 2014. He was a closer for a big chunk of the time. A big, big chunk of the time. My boys just walked past me, and they're looking at all the Star Wars stuff right now. They were close to a big chunk of the time when they won the World Series in 2012. But in both those seasons, Boach made a change. He found Romo was a better option one year, and he switched back to Casilla another year. But the fact of the matter is this. It has been proven over and over again this year that he is not, by he I mean Casilla, he is not automatic. He is not the difference maker. I'm not saying bench him. I'm not saying DFA him. By the way, isn't it great how DFA has become a verb now? I'm not even saying bury him. I'm just saying don't automatically hand him the ball for two reasons. First reason is this. Go find the best matchup. Go find the right person who is going to match up this, match up that. Or find someone that you think, hey, do you want, what if we give this person a chance in the ninth and find out? That's what happened with Uehara in 2013 with the Red Sox, who was a borderline afterthought. Brought in, it's like, oh, he'll give us a little bit of depth in the bullpen. And he turned out to be a real difference maker when they won the World Series. Who knows? Maybe Peavy. Maybe Lopez. Maybe, I, I, I don't know, so maybe someone else. Maybe come bring someone up from the minors. Maybe, you know, maybe some days it would be Casilla. But don't make it be automatic. That's what drives me bananas. The minute I saw it's a one-run game, they're going to hand it to Casilla, aren't they? Yep, there they are. And, oh, there it goes. Most of the nights, he will get the save. Do you know why? Because his ERA isn't in the 18s. Because he will hold it. But do you know what? It's not automatic. He doesn't shorten the game. Don't treat someone. Like, they gave Rivera a plaque at uh, Monument Park today. They've already retired his number. He is a difference-making closer, okay? But don't treat someone like they're a difference-making closer just because they happen to be the one piling up the saves, okay? As I'm standing here in the videotape aisle, I see a bunch of movies and a bunch of films where there is a legit movie star on the front. Here's Malcolm X, stars Denzel Washington, one of the great movie stars of all time. Here's Breakfast at Tiffany's. It stars uh, Audrey Hepburn. 
great movie star. All right, and oh, check, you know, right over here, Forrest Gump. Okay, not my favorite movie in the world, but there's Tom Hanks right there. Boom. And when there's a film without a huge star, do you what they do? They'll put a bunch of faces on it, or there'll be a great piece of artwork, like Usual Suspects down here. Usual Suspects has a wonderful cast, you know, but there's no one giant superstar. There is no one Robin Williams in it. There is no one Humphrey Bogart in it. So, you have a ensemble. You have a group. Imagine that Usual Suspects, and it was just a picture of Kevin Pollock's face. Or Benicio del Toro's face. So why are you doing that? Well, that's what you do with a star. No, 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 no. That's what you do with Tom Cruise. Okay? That's what you do with Kevin Costner in, in Field of Dreams. That's what you do with Julia Roberts and Aaron Brockovich. You know, you, you don't do that with freaking Stephen Baldwin and Gabriel Byrne, who all do a fine job in the film, but it is a compilation. Not you don't When you don't have a movie star... You don't treat the film like it has a movie star. So guess what? Treat your bullpen the same way. Hey, I, I want to talk about something else here. Uh, and I This is something that kind of hit me. Um, of course, Alex Rodriguez retired. Uh, or, I don't know, I personally, I think he's going to wind up with the Marlins. I still do. Remember when Roger Clemens walked off the mound after game four of the 2003 World Series and everyone gave him a standing ovation because they knew it was the end of his career. And then he played 2004, 2005, 2006, and 2007. Why do I have a feeling this is going to happen with A-Rod? He's going to want to get that 700th home run. He's going to go to Miami. I, I just feel like that's it's going to happen. It may even be next year, but I just feel like it's going to happen. Okay. But another interesting thing happened, if indeed this is the end of Alex Rodriguez's career. And that is, he is the last person, I could be wrong, Ed Lairo, Ed, uh, Lairo, I'm pronouncing your name, Ed. I, that's the first time I said it out loud. There you go. But he pointed out something, that he is the last remaining player from before the strike of 1994. Now think about that for a second. If that's true, and I, I believe it is, then there's no major leaguers left who went on strike, who were part of it, who were on the major league rosters and then the bigs, and then they went on strike. A-Rod came up as a rookie in 1994. He used up the rest of his rookie eligibility in 1995. But he, went, he arrived before the strike in 1994. So, what does that mean? For me, there's a significant part of that, which is baseball first had a labor strike in the spring of 1972. I was born in May of 1972. And so, until A-Rod was basically put out to pasture, he, there has always been at least one player who had gone out on strike had been part of a labor stoppage in my lifetime. Because the first one happened when I was a baby. So when I showed up, when I showed up, there had already been people who had gone on strike who were playing in the 1972 season. And then there was a, there was a work stoppage in 81. So a lot of people who came in after 72, well, they were in 81. 
and a lot of people who were part of the one-day labor stoppage in 85, and of course the lockout in 1990, and then the, you know, the calamitous work stoppage in 1994 that bled into 1995. And so now, for the first time in my lifetime, there are no players who have gone on the major league roster who went on strike. And the interesting thing for me is that it was the final, the, the day of the strike, I believe, was August 12th, which I do believe was also the last day that A-Rod played. So that there is a sort of a strange connection between A-Rod and labor strife. But something about that is I don't want us to lose track of the significance of that. I don't want to lose track of the idea that... I don't want to lose track of the fact that baseball at one point was in a, in a place where labor strife was just about a given as close to a given as you could possibly have, that you could actually say that, you know what, there is a collective bargaining agreement that's going to expire, and the result will be some form of work stoppage, whether it's a lockout, whether it's a strike, and it was just a given. There was so much distrust between the owners and the players. There was so much distrust between the union and the commissioner, and there was reason for the distrust. I mean, I mean, and it was—it's not like one of these things, you know. When there's there's a lot of pressure to say things like, "Oh, you got to hear both sides," or you know, the the truth is somewhere right in the middle. Actually, in this case, no. The truth was pretty much cut and dry. The truth pretty much was, hey, uh, one side was wrong, legally, morally. Ethically, one team was found guilty. One side was found guilty of collusion. One side was found guilty of using a, uh, a completely incorrect interpretation of how contracts were written out and forcing players to stay on the same team as long as they want. The owners, the owners were wrong. This is not a well. Both sides are wrong. You gotta, you know, it, both sides are are guilty of this. And but no, 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 no. One side was lying, colluding, and doing things that were unethical and illegal. Now you may not like when players sign with other teams for more money, but the fact of the matter is, you would do it too, and you know it, it's based upon the fact that people can leave a job and go to somewhere else if that's where, if that's what they want to do and that's what the marketplace bears. You may not like that. You also may not like it when you don't win the lottery every week. But that's a fact. and doesn't make one side wrong. And one side was wrong all those years. And the result has been acrimony. Well, the players of the strike have gone, literally the players. I don't like to say literally unless it's a literal statement, but yes, in this case, literally the players have all gone. Now, since A-Rod has been put out to pasture. 
and the major players in it, whether it's Donald Fear or Bud Selig, are also gone. And so maybe that's a big reason why we are a whole generation of players who are now in where this is no longer hardwired into expectations. Collective bargaining agreement's going to go, well, better go on strike, better build up the war chest. We are going to have a new collective bargaining agreement this winter. And chances are there's a lot of things that are on the table that need to be bargained for. And I really, really hope that some of them include things like uh, changes in blackout rules, changes in how games can be uh, consumed, and also changes of the schedule. I would love to see a 154-game schedule and maybe have that be a situation where there's more rest for players and you can condense the, the schedule a little bit. I would love to see a day World Series game. You know, me, I would love to see the season begin with the All-Star game. To me, I don't understand how that's not how it is. But And there's going to be, undoubtedly behind the scenes, there's going to be contention. Undoubtedly behind the scenes, there's going to be people who feel like, oh man, we, we shouldn't have bargained that away, we shouldn't have done that. But the fact that the idea of a strike isn't looming above the whole off-season or a lockout, that, it, that if that does happen, it would be a stunning turn of events, is, I think, well, a positive step for baseball. Now, you may not like free agency, you may not like how some of the things have come about, but look around. You've, you, you, if you were looking around and saying, oh, I think the Yankees are winning the World Series too many times, ain't going to win this year. There's a real chance they're not going to win this decade. You're like, oh, I don't like that big market teams dominate. They're not. Look around at the teams that are the best in baseball. Yeah, a team like the Cubs can pick things up, but a team like the Royals can win back-to-back -back pennants. Oh, I don't like all the big stars leaving via free agency. They're not. They're really, really not. So, you should probably like how baseball has evolved in this day and age of peace. And now we can go on to a day and age of peace and no Alex Rodriguez. Which, if I'm reading the tea leaves of how people have been reacting to everything, what else do you want? I'll tell you what I want. I want managers to stop just handing the ball to the dude with the most saves at the end of the game, but maybe that's just me. So go to MLBReports.com to check out the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe to iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker, Patrick Kaliski. Well, there are lots of baseball podcasts out there, but how many of them do it? Totally improvised, from an aisle in Target. Not a lot. Not a lot. Well, I gotta go because I bought some frozen things and they're starting to melt. So this has been the Celebration Daily Podcast for the 15th day of August 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sullivan.